The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the biggest debate in the market right now. Is the Fed going too far, too fast, and will it cause stocks to crash and the economy to tank? The Investment Committee here with me to discuss those critical issues. Joining me for the hour today, Jim Labenthal, Michael Farr, Stephanie Link, Josh Brown. Let's check the markets as we always do. Carl just said we've just given it all back. I mean, we had a pretty decent morning going. Uh, we're red now. Dow's uh, down about 50, 29, 211. S&P's negative. NASDAQ's barely hanging on. And the, uh, you're looking at the yields there. Uh, the 10-year note yield, five basis points away from 4%. 430 is where the two-year is. We have new closing lows uh, yesterday in on the S&P and the Dow, Josh. Uh, we're trying to get an oversold bounce going. We just can't get much of anything going. I mean, even if you get the oversold bounce at this point, you've got confirmation in the internals that this thing looks like it's heading lower. Um, what you never want to see when you're making new lows is Dow theory confirmation, like the transports and the industrials both confirming that new low. That's what you got last week. You don't want to see the NYSE advanced decline line make a new low. That's further confirmation that it's not just at the index level, but the market of stocks is making fresh lows. Um, And even if you strip out all of the closed end funds and other stuff that trades on the NYSE, stocks only, new lows. So you'll get bounces. Um, Don't ask me when. My, My last idea for a bounce didn't work out so great. You will get them. But in the end, you're in a bear market. I think... All of the debates that we had over the spring and the summer, is it a bear market, is it not? There was a logic behind establishing the fact that it was. And that logic is that if you know you're in one, then you've got to treat the bounces like suspect. You've got to say there's no rush and not race into stocks just because they fall 4 or 5%. That's bull market behavior. It doesn't help you when you know you're in a bear. And again, we've failed at the 200-day three times this year. Um, I don't know how many more times you need to watch that happen before you just accept this is the landscape. So, Steph, you've got these, you know, amazing moves in in yields um, all over the place, really. And that's part of the reason why you have this uneasiness uh, in in the market. Mm. The the stock market's prisoner to the bond market and to the currency market. Mm -hmm. And until there's stabilization in bond markets around the world and currencies around the world, I can't imagine a scenario in which you get stabilization in the United States stock market. No, I don't think you get stabilization. I think you have a choppy trading range. That's what we've had this whole entire year. Choppy implies sort of up, down, you know, all around. Like 3,600, That's kind of where we've been. Could we go lower? Sure. You ask the question, is the Fed overdoing it? 
we won't really know if the Fed is overdoing it because there's such a lag impact. Right about nine months we'll feel all these rate increases. What we do know is parts of inflation are coming down, mainly on the commodity side, across the spectrum, and also the prices paid indexes that we've been getting in all of these manufacturing and services series. And so those are two things that I think the Fed is kind of ignoring at this point. What we also know is that there are some stickier parts of inflation that they have to really deal with. So they're going to continue to tighten into a slowing economy. That's a bad combination in my book. And that's why we can't get out of our own way. So this question of whether they're overdoing it, it is question number one. It's not a question. It's not a question. Well, many are answering it. There's nobody saying they're not overdoing it. Everyone sees the dynamic here. He was a year late, we just don't know and now he's oh, going to make up for it in three months. Well, the, the, some members of the Fed don't seem to think so. Still got the work to do. Board. They, don't disagree. they don't disagree with the boss. Bullard need to respond to inflation appropriately. This whole thing, I feel, came to a head yeah. on Friday with Professor Jeremy Siegel of the Wharton School. Uh, I want you all to listen once again to, let's just call it a rant that he went on about what he thinks the Fed is doing. We'll listen. I find it very amusing a year ago at that September meeting when we had booming commodity prices, when housing prices rising at the fastest rate in post-war history, uh, when we had all commodities going up at rapid rates, uh, Fed uh, Chairman Powell and the Fed said, we don't see any inflation. We see no need to raise interest rates in 2022. Now, when all those very same commodities and asset prices are going down, he sees, uh, you know, stubborn inflation that requires the Fed to stay tight all the way through 2023. Makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Way too tight. We do not have to get anywhere near that level to stop inflation because all the inflation is basically stopped. Jim Labenthal, I know you were watching at the time, as was, uh, you know, the, it, it got played around. This was it's being coined in some places as the they know nothing 2.0, uh, alluding to Kramer and his uh, epic rant back in 08. Uh, Elon Musk responds. Siegel, obviously correct. He did that on Twitter. There's a professor. Yeah. There's yeah. Elon Musk's response to that. This is the debate. This is yeah. the debate. Whether the Fed is blowing it, but they blew it the first time by not doing anything, and now they're doing too much. Yeah, I, I think um, obviously there was more to the rant. You had to pick what you were going to uh, uh, show there, but you know he pointed out that the Fed has been consistently wrong. I mean, does anybody remember four years ago when Chairman Powell said that we're a long way from a neutral rate, and then the market smacked him in the face, and he pivoted. You know, and then there was, we're not even thinking about thinking about raising interest rates. I could go on, but that's not the point. Um, the point is, I agree with Jeremy Siegel, as does others, but I don't think the Fed cares. I don't think the Fed is listening. Maybe Charles Evans, you know, the Chicago Fed president uh, speaking today, maybe he heard it, um, but he's a lone voice uh, amongst the committee. What we need to see right now is inflation come down. That's what the Fed needs to see. Um, as Professor Siegel pointed out, uh, housing, which is a major part of it's about one third of the CPI, is a lagging indicator. You're seeing Case Shiller today and statistics last week show that housing is coming down, but that's not gonna show up in the owner equivalent rent, which is a major portion of the CPI for quite a few months. So it's unfortunately, it's a nail biter here of watching what the inflation reports are going to do 
to see if there's any reason that the Fed will heed what the professor is saying. But right now, they're, they're not going to heed what so he's Jim, saying. So, Jim, you allude to Evans, Charlie Evans, Chicago Fed president, was on Squawk uh, Europe this morning, said he's nervous about going too far. I'm nervous about exactly that. There are legs in monetary policy, he said, and we've moved expeditiously. And so we've done three 75 point increases in a row. And there's two more to get to that four, four and a quarter to four and three quarters by the end of the year. You're not leaving much time to look at each monthly increase or release. That's the steps point of the tremendous lag. So, yeah, are, are, I mean, we, are the, we saying that absent a Fed pause or some sort of other language that suggests that they've done a lot? Now it's time to just wait and see what happens. Stocks can't hang with that, can't, can't handle it? Well, let's, let's talk about what's going on right now in the stock market. Last week was an adjustment to higher interest rates. This is just the simple math of discounted cash flow models for future earnings, right? The value of those future earnings goes down as interest rates go higher. The market was surprised by what the peak rate was coming out of the Fed meeting. But this week is something different that's going on, and it's, it's temporary in nature, but it's going on. These currency moves are kind of freaking out the market because usually when you see the British pound move as much as it has the last few days, usually some financial player gets carried out feet first. So far this year, you haven't seen that. You've seen crypto malaise uh, geolocated within the crypto world. But there's worries, whether it's a hedge fund, mm -hmm. a non-bank financial player, that somebody's going to get beat up um, and cause a systemic risk here. Uh, hopefully, you know, we can get through the next two weeks without that happening. The market may gain footing on the belief that whatever the Fed does, it's going to be over by the next three months. We've got three months left in this year. The bulk of the Fed's heavy lifting is likely to be done yeah. by the end of the year. This is like a, a, a bond yield induced move lower as we're having the conversation, I feel like. Right. The 10 year is three basis points and change away from three and a half basis points, three and three quarters away from four percent. All you have to do is watch bond yields to determine, Michael Farr, where stocks are going to go, at least in the, in the time being. I mean, that's pretty much right. And, and while Jeremy Siegel, I think, espouses a lot of the frustration that's being felt by a lot of investors, because investors realize, look, the Fed's pushing up those rates. That's pushing down equity prices. It's slowing the economy, but it's doing exactly what the Fed wants it to do. And Professor Siegel's saying, stop. This is enough. And maybe he's right. But there is another cohort that thinks that you have to take rates uh, to 5% for the Fed funds rate. Dr. Jeffrey Lacker, former president of the Richmond Fed, thinks it could be north to hit that sort of neutral rate out there. It's not a voice any of us want to hear. Right. But yes, what we need to do is watch that bond market, watch where those yields are going. And I'm noticing here, too, Judge, that everybody's shifting to the fearful, this is awful side of the boat. We're all singing from the same page. We're even working just on our harmonies about how bad things are right now. Um, it's always kind of risky when you all get on the same side of the boat, I but it's you. riskier if you're not on the Fed side of the boat. Don't be on the wrong side of the boat from the Fed. Well, a lot of people are moving on, on one side of the boat, right? Our Delivering Alpha conference is tomorrow it. in New York City. Uh, we have the Delivering Alpha Investor Survey. Is the Fed moving too fast on rates? 35%. Yeah, it's time to slow down. Next, what is your biggest concern for the markets right now? Of all the things that are out there, Taiwan, China, energy in Europe, midterm elections, job market, no. 58%, Fed being too aggressive. So it's, it's in the zeitgeist of the market.
at this point, Josh. Well, it's, the, it's the most powerful player on the board. So, like, you, you ask a question, like, what are you, like if you're, you're playing chess, what are you worried about? Yeah, of course, you're worried about the pawns, you're worried about the knights, you're worried about the bishops. But, like, in the end, Uriah is on the queen. This is the piece that can do anything. And, unfortunately, we're in a situation right now where the Fed thinks its job is to earn back its credibility. This is the craziest uh, S that I've ever heard in, in 20 years in this business. This idea that they will ever have credibility ever again, this currently constituted, uh, uh, constituted Fed board, it, you could throw that out the window. I heard Nick Timoreus on a podcast this week um, has probably spent more time talking to Fed governors this year than any other reporter. And they ask him, like, what's Powell's feeling right now? What's his personality trait that, that people most associate with him? He keeps going, oh, Powell's confident. He's, he's so confident. What is he confident for? Like, what, what is the source of that confidence? I don't think we've seen a Fed have to go back and forth this many times in a four or five year period. It's a complete circus. And credibility is not the issue. This is it's almost like a perversion of capitalism. It's a guy. He's an attorney who used to work in the private uh, equity space, and he's going to sit in a room and figure out how many truck drivers and nurses need to lose their jobs Stop it. If before he was he's an happy if with... If he was an academic... What are, what are we but doing? But if he was an academic, the, the criticism on the other side would be, oh, he's tanking the market. He doesn't understand the markets. Well, he, he, he's already done it. So, so we've already oh, done there. this. We've done this game. Jim, Jim cited the 2018 example. We've done this game multiple times. How many times can you be wrong before you just say, you know what? Maybe this data-dependent thing isn't working out, and it should be common-sense-dependent. Common sense is, historically, you give the rate hikes an opportunity to work some effect before you pile on the next set. So I understand we were late. This should have happened before. Okay, but that's the past. You can't go back in time. So the solution is not, well, you know what will really cool off inflation if I completely crash the economy. Like, that's not the right medicine for the, the situation. Other, okay, the other the part S&P, of it, Steph, is that no matter, some would suggest no matter what they do, they can't deal with, with the, in, where inflation is the worst. Yeah. At all. No matter, no matter what can. they We've do. We've been talking about wages and rents and education and health care and food. Those are where the inflation sticky points are. But let, let us just step back for half of a minute. The, the S&P 500, sorry, the, the S&P 500 is down 23%. The Nasdaq is down 31% year to date. These are huge, huge moves. There are so many sectors out there in stocks that are down 40, 50, 60%. Earnings are coming in two weeks. They might actually be a little bit better than expected. So they you might. Said, we'll you see. said earning, earnings are down huge. They are. I mean, stocks uh, the are stocks, stocks are down huge. Yes, they are. They're not down huge if you factor in a economic calamity right and you factor in interest rates continue to go up and you and you can uh, you factor in the dollar i know i'm continue to go that doesn't care about people, people would make um, the argument that stocks aren't down enough oh down 50 and 60 percent for some companies that are number one or number two generating enormous free cash flow and and some companies are able to do price increases so that margins don't get slammed yeah they're going to come down earnings are going to come down ubs says margins just, are too high that's right on my say, note okay. my note from today well too. that's what makes a market right i mean there are going to be some sectors look 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 at energy they have pricing power i bet they're, they're going to have great earnings and amazing free cash flow even in spite of the fact that the oil prices have fallen as much as they have but there are certain sectors, materials as well. Or how about some technology stocks, right? How about some of the cybersecurity companies? You know, I've been actually negative on technology all year long. Some of these things are so attractive for the long term if you can take just more than a year's time horizon. I worry about the things you're worried about too. 
But I'm, I'm saying there's a lot of bad news priced into the market right now. So, Jim Labenthal, this idea, notwithstanding a pivot of lack of hawkish commentary, your thesis doesn't work, right? If they remain as hawkish as they are, no one's if does. they continue to do what Jeremy Siegel says they shouldn't, margins are going to continue to get hit. Earnings are going to be worse than you think. Your forecast for stocks can't possibly work in this environment. And by the way, you're not the only one, because after the break, we're going to bring in Brian Belsky, who's got like the highest target on the street and refuses for all intents and purposes to budge much like you, though you've budged a little bit recently because you're starting to see the writing on the wall of what this hawkish and aggressive Fed means. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, allow me to make a joke. It's not like I, you know, suck on nitrous oxide before coming on the show. There is a level at which the Fed funds rate can rise where the thesis of a soft landing breaks down. Right now, with where the fund, Fed funds rate is, there is enough cushion in this uh, economy to, to deal with it and absorb with it and get to the uh, soft landing. Uh, we still know there's a lot more uh, job openings than unemployed and the labor market remains strong. Yes, Scott, I know that that incentivizes the Fed to keep going. Um, but my point is, if inflation is coming down as measured or indicated by a lot of things, whether it's commodity prices, freight costs, inventory to sales ratios, prices paid surveys, I mean, there's a lot of evidence that inflation is coming down. Uh, but it has to show up in the CPI and the Fed has to back off from 75 basis points and 75 basis points again at the end of the year to something more measurable, more reasonable, like, hey, 50 basis points. That used to be a big rate hike, by the way. Yeah. 50 basis points used to be a big rate hike. They need to get back to that level in order for the soft landing to work. You're absolutely right. 75 basis points and another 50, that doesn't work. But it's a reason, Michael Farr, that we even have this new conversation, if you want to call it new, because we started having it in the last few weeks of, of bonds versus stocks and this debate as to what is better right now. Forget there is no alternative. Well, there finally is an alternative. It took a long time, but there is. Gundlach would say bonds, right? He's buying, uh, he's buying bonds, treasury bond market. He told, he told me that the last time we did the interview. He tweets it out as well. Bond market rallying, been a long time. I've been a buyer recently. That was at 1214 in, in the morning, this morning. Delivering alpha survey. Interesting. The asset class where I will be the most aggressive for the rest of 22. What wins? Stocks near 40 percent. What's the winner? Where's the time frame question? Well, the time yep. frame question. Yeah, the time frame is, a, is, is, is it. You know, I mean, uh, right now you, there is an alternative, right? I mean, you get down, darn near 4 percent on the 10 year Treasury. You can get decent returns. You can get decent returns in munis. And there's an alternative. I, I think perhaps to we might still be being a little too harsh on the Federal Reserve. I mean, we've been through a pandemic. They, we had enormous amounts of fiscal stimulus. And the game in Washington as a lifelong Washingtonian, when you get before an election like this, it's going to be somebody else's fault before the election. Jay Powell's the easiest target out there. I know he's tried to be measured. I know he's made some mistakes. But this is an awfully tough job he has. And he is very concerned that we hit one of these runaway inflationary stages. So I'm willing to guy, cut the guy some slack and say, look, I need to see that inflation number come down. I don't want to see that eight handle anymore. I don't want to see a six handle. That really does affect the least among us in the population socioeconomically. It's the most impact on them. We've got people out there really suffering. He has to stop it. Uh, and stock prices are seeing opportunities. So long term, answer your question, Judge. 
your Google or Stephanie stocks with the strong cash flow and balance sheets and down 50%, and you might still have better opportunities, you're going to make more money from stocks and bonds over the hey, long Mike, term. Hey, Michael, you're getting it's, great opportunities. Michael, it's yes, Josh. Sir. I'm all for cutting people slack, and I don't think anyone could have foreseen all of the uh, consequences of the pandemic and then the subsequent rescue, and I think that's perfectly fair. But would you agree with me if you are in as, as recently as the months of January, February, March, literally conducting emergency stimulus, cut to four months later, you're embarking upon the fastest hike in interest rates in 50 years, it's likely that you're probably not the price stability guy. Like maybe you're not good at this. Is that a, is that a fair comment as well? It looks like erratic behavior. The messaging was wrong, and I think the actions that following it, Josh, you're right. We, we, they, they said we're going to be very disciplined about this, and they gave us that first quarter percent hike, and we're like, all right, here we're going to start this slow process, and boom, it was off to the races. So I think it was shocking to me, and I agree with you. It doesn't look as consistent as the Fed sounded all last year. All right. Let's, uh, let's uh, take a quick break and note as we do, uh, take that break that the S&P 500 is now below its intraday June low. Uh, 3636 was the number to keep your eye on today. We're at 3626. Dow's down 238 and yields are on the march. 397 is where we're at on the 10 year. Brian Belsky, I mentioned him earlier. He's our headliner today. Uh, he says he's sticking with his year end view for a melt up, which means we got a lot of talking to do next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. There is your market picture. 12.23 on the East Coast. Dow Jones Industrial Average down 226. That's a new intraday low for the S&P. 36.28 is where it currently sits. The yield on the 10-year, 3.97. That march towards 4% getting closer as we speak. Nasdaq's down one half of 1%. Let's bring in our halftime headliner now. He is Brian Belsky. He is the chief investment strategist at BMO. I appreciate you uh, being on with us. As, as always, I know you know where this is all going in terms of the line of my questioning. Um, so how do you defend where you think stocks are going to still go in the waning months of this year? Well, 
kudos for you, Scott, to continue to be having me on the program. Uh, it's with much humility the last several months that we are wrong this year. Our forecast is wrong, and I apologize for that. I've uh, put out 21 forecasts in my 24 years of writing your head pieces that I've had the number in terms of putting the forecast in the market, and our average deviation is 3%. So this year is out, outside of that, and uh, it's very unfortunate. We really thought that inflation was going to roll over a little bit faster. Be that as it may, we're not going to do a mea culpa, certainly not on a TV show, but we're not going to do a mea culpa at these levels, especially given that we firmly believe that we're going to have some sort of a melt-up in the fourth quarter. Some of it's technical, some of it's sentiment, some of it's just the belief, and you've, I've heard some of your panelists today talk about it with respect to earnings that we believe are going to come in better than everybody thought. We simply did not know and understand that the action and reaction of investors was going to be this vehement uh, heading into the fourth quarter. Now, remember, when I was on your show last time, I talked about September being a very volatile month. That's exactly what's happened. In my career of uh, 33 years, uh, September's are always the worst month and October's are the bottom, and we typically see a really strong fourth quarter. We actually did a research report and talked about this uh, in a report last night saying when the stock market since 1945 has a, has a loss in the first nine months of over 20%, we typically see a double-digit increase. I think it actually is going to be more than that this year, uh, principally because since, again, since I saw you last, I've been traveling all over the world seeing clients. I've been on the road every single day, and everyone's bearish. Everyone is in cash, and I think that cash can be put to work in some bottom fishing. Clearly, they're going to be buying some bonds in here, and that's probably a smart idea for, for diversified investors, but I think it, people are under-invested under right now in U.S. stocks. And that's where I think the, the risk. Uh, that's where I think the strength is going to come from in the fourth quarter. Yeah, buying bonds as the as the Fed is selling them through through QT, which hasn't gotten enough conversation uh, no. either. No. Um, is the professor right? Is the professor right that the Fed has just gone way too far? I think he is. I, I uh, meaning the professor. I thought uh, his commentary on Friday was amazing. It's a lot of things that we can't say. Uh, in the public domain because we're licensed and uh, from FINRA and all that kind of stuff. We can't be that, that charged on that. But listen, um, I think what, what people are missing is we're not giving ourselves enough slack here. Society was on shutdown two years ago. And remember a year ago, Scott, too, that we were basically in shutdown again in, in November, December in the holiday shopping season due to Omicron, and we weren't out living. I think the, the Christmas shopping season is going to be crazy this year and the consumer is going to be crazy. We saw the numbers again today. So I think I think the professor is spot on. I think the Fed's probably ahead of itself. Josh had a great comment in terms of this credibility the Fed's trying to build. How about just do your job uh, and let the economy do what it's going to do? And I think still uh, earnings are the key. Earnings are going to be the key and they have not fallen yet. And it's amazing that they've held in as long as they have. So you, you talk about this the Christmas season, in your words, is, quote, going to be crazy. Jay Powell wants to hear the opposite, doesn't he? Doesn't he want to see confidence tick down? Doesn't he want to see the unemployment rate go up? Doesn't he want to see retail spending come in? All that's going to do is give the Fed more resolve to keep going. Remember, the unemployment number and, and jobs are the most lagging indicator from an employment stand or from, an, from a macro perspective. And, you know, our great economics team are saying that we're going to see a wild recession in the first half of the year. So we follow whatever they say. Uh, and we do think the strength of the consumer is going to be what keeps us going on. Now, with respect to corporate spending, technology, industrials, maybe we're going to see a slowdown there, Scott. But the consumer, you never discount the U.S. consumer ever. And that's what keeps us very, very bullish in terms of the overall market. And especially 
especially the consumer discretionary sector, there's a lot of value being created. Stephanie Link talked about it in terms of the pullback in the market. So if you are a fundamentalist, if you're like Michael Farr and you look out 12 to 18 months, now is the time to be putting new capital to work. Again, if you're trying to day trade this market, I think it's going to be a real, real failure. Hey, Belsky, it's Josh Brown. Um, one bullish case that I haven't heard anyone talk about yet, and I was curious if you had a, a take on this. We've basically seen every company in America, give or take, put through some sort of price increase over the last two years. That's almost become a standard thing. Nobody even flinches about it anymore. In the meanwhile, uh, lumber is down 65% year to date in cost. Global container freight rates down 61% from the high. These are crashes. Freight times have round tripped. We're back to the January 2021 in terms of freight times. WTI crude is 36% below its peak. Is there a bull case here that all of these price increases stick, but the underlying costs of doing business drop, and that is why margins actually can stay high, X whatever it costs you to add labor versus last year? What's your, what's your take on that idea? My take on that is I think it's spot on, uh, and I think it's a great way to look at it. And I think, again, because we lack perspective in the marketplace, this is exactly what happened in 2009. If you see what happened in commodity costs, especially uh, October, November, December, and then into the first three or four months of 2009, they cratered, but margins didn't really get hit. And that's why we saw this huge earnings beat in the second and third quarter of 2009, which really led more credence uh, to the stock market's recovery in 2009. So a lot of people forget that. Same thing happened, oh, by the way, in late 1990, early 1991, when I was a young, very, very young analyst uh, out in Los Angeles, when uh, I was working for O'Neill's Josh, as you know my story. And Bill O'Neill thought we were going into a, a recession, which we were, but by the fourth quarter, uh, we saw this massive reversal in commodity costs and earnings were starting to go up tremendously. And that's what kind of got us out of that recession. Exit pivot by the Fed. Can we get anywhere close to a melt up in the fourth quarter or can earnings hold up nearly to the degree in which you think they can? Great question, and thanks for asking. And I do think earnings can hold in there, for, especially for third and fourth quarter. Remember, we're not going to hear about year-end earnings until January, February anyway, Scott. But I think this is still all about inflation. You saw today that for the third month in a row, 12-month uh, inflation expectations are down. Uh, Josh talked about the commodity side of things. Look at the CRB index. Look at oil. That's why I think still Fortress America bears fruit with respect to foreign money, non-U.S. money coming back to the U.S. That's what's going to cause the bounce, and we see that escalator start to fall in terms of inflation any kind of good news Scott any kind of positive print in this market we could have a five six seven percent up day that's how much pent-up demand there is for good news I don't know about an up day but you could get a significant move no doubt the question is whether it would be sustainable or not for all of the reasons that we've already discussed Jim Labenthal has a question for you yeah, Brian, always always good to talk to you, and not just because we're thinking the same way, but because you do it very thoughtfully. And it's that thoughtful analysis I'd like to ask this question. I think we're in a transition in the markets from growth to value. I think it's painful because uh, a lot of people, when the market rallies, they come right back to the FANG names that worked so well the last decade, and then they get hurt and they get really upset. Do you, you know, look, I'm not going to make it a long question. Do you think there's any legs to the transition story from growth to value? 
I really do. And again, we have to take two steps back and understand that we as, a, as an investment society, we're already in a transition from zero interest rates back up to normality. I believe that the transition to normal style of investing is a three to five year process. And I think it's, this is the control alt delete year 2022 and heading into 2023, 2024, 2025. As I formulate my thoughts for 2023, you're probably gonna hear me more talk more about value, small, mid-cap, small mid-cap companies from a cash flow perspective and earning stability, even some of them are paying dividends, look amazing. We haven't talked about that for 10 years. I think people got sucked into growth in July, August on the dead cap bounce when, when we started to believe when growth is scarce, growth outperforms. And I think you gotta be careful on that. From a fundamental perspective, we think a lot of the value areas and the growth at a reasonable price areas of the US market look excessively attractive. Appreciate you coming on. As always, stand up guy, appreciate that. Brian, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Scott. All right, Brian Belsky, BMO. Coming up, the investment committee's making some moves in this market. We'll find out their latest buys and sells. We'll do that next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right. <laughs> Sorry. All right. We're back on live TV. We're talking about the move in bond yields around the world and how yeah, unprecedented in many respects yeah. uh, that it is sort of marveling at these moves like all of you are and the impact it's having on the stock market stock market. Uh, let's talk moves. OK, uh, Stephanie Link, you sold Freeport. Yeah. Tell me why. It's not a great sale. Um, I, my price is a little bit higher than where it is here. But look, I mean, copper prices are coming down. Therefore, free cash flow is going to come down. And that's been the story with this company. As copper prices moved higher, you saw more buybacks, dividends, uh, and you also saw them pay down debt as well. Um, that's all going to start to reverse. And I just think the, the China news as well will not help them. So it's kind of a risk off release, if you will. Okay. I mean, uh, uh, a point you're making on commodities in general, like commodities are now in trouble. Well, we're going to talk a little bit later about energy. So I actually put some money into energy. Mm, okay. So we'll talk about that. Keep that tease going. But uh, you bought more Dollar General. Yeah. It's kind of like a consumer staple, and it's trading at a reasonable valuation about 20 times. Um, they've done a really good job with a value proposition. 80% of their sales are consumables, so it's a defensive kind of a position. Um, and they've done a really good job in terms of gross margins, keeping them strong, right? And they have pricing power as well. So uh, it's kind of my consumer staple name, not trading at a consumer staple valuation, which oh. are much higher than this. All right. So, Michael Farr, how, how interesting, right? Steph goes into a perceived defensive consumer name at the same time you move out of raw stores. Why? Because they have some of the same characteristics of, of the types of things that Stephanie was just talking about. 
they do, Scott. I think that the difference would be the consumables that Stephanie's talking about that you don't have in Ross Stores. Ross Stores was a rather defensive uh, name in the cyclical space, and you know that that uh, lower price consumers really been severely impacted by inflation. So for consumables, maybe, but for discretionary spending, not so much. And that lower end consumer, lower income in American, has really been suffering from inflation. We're stepping out of Ross Stores now. Uh, probably ought to take a look at some of Steph's names. All right. Uh, she'll pass you the uh, the names. You can check them out uh, during the next break. Let's get the news headlines we, now. We talk, we talk from time to time. <laughs> yeah, all right. With yeah. Bertha Coombs. Hey, Bertha. Hey, Scott. Here's what's happening at this hour. Vice President Kamala Harris will visit the demilitarized zone separating North and South Korea on Thursday during her trip to Asia. This follows recent North Korean missile tests and is a bid to show Washington's commitment to South Korea's security. Harris's visit to the demilitarized zone would be the first by a senior Biden administration official. The Justice Department is filing a revised inventory of seized items from the former president Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort. The special master in the case ordered the DOJ to resubmit the list as part of his review. The updated list adds 55 items to the more than 11,000 government-owned documents that were removed last month. Colombian pop singer Shakira is being ordered to stand trial in Spain on charges of tax fraud. Prosecutors are accusing the entertainer of failing to pay nearly $14 million in taxes on income earned between 2012 and 2014. They're seeking an eight-year prison sentence and a hefty fine if she is found guilty of tax evasion. That trial date has yet to be set. Scott. All right, Bertha, thank you. Bertha Coombs up next. We're gearing up for Delivering Alpha. Leslie Picker joins us with what to expect. And for Hispanic Heritage Month, CNBC is celebrating our teammates and contributors. Here's Oscar Munoz. He's the former United Airlines chairman and CEO. Bias exists in America. It always will. We just have to be honest about it. And, and I think for underrepresented minorities in particular, there's an old adage that sometimes you have to work twice as hard to get half as far. I do believe from my heritage that we believe we want to earn our place on this earth, on this planet, in our communities. And, and so, um, you know, if you look at the statistics, we're not just a growing community, which everyone talks about, but we're a growing economic environment. We are voters, we are purchasers to large, large amounts. I mean, uh, the, the GDP of the Latino cohort in America is equal to the seventh largest nation in the world. That's how you want to look at us as, as someone to market to, someone to embrace. It's that time again, Delivering Alpha, CNBC's premier investing conference returns in person for the first time in three years. Tomorrow, we're going to be there live with the investment committee. We're also going to sit down with Jim Chanos. He is presenting there. We think he may have a new idea up his sleeve that we'll learn about at DA. Leslie Picker on more of what to expect from this conference. Yeah, Scott, I'm looking forward to seeing you all there. And in a year where the average 60-40 portfolio of stocks and bonds is down more than 20% now, outperformance, it's even more paramount than it's been 
In recent memory, as always, that will be the ongoing thread that runs through our flagship investing conference. As you mentioned, it's the 12th annual Delivering Alpha event taking place tomorrow in New York City. It will be the first time we're back in person since 2019. The speakers span asset classes and investing strategies. I personally am looking forward to your fireside, Scott, with Citadel's Ken Griffin. Duquesne's Stan Druckenmiller will also be giving his take on the markets, and I'll be sitting down with bond giant PIMCO's CIO Dan Iveson. In the less liquid markets, we'll hear from several private equity giants, including the heads of Toma Bravo and General Atlantic and executives at Blackstone and Carlisle. And with the midterms just uh, about six weeks away, we'll get the sense of the political climate with the Deputy Treasury Secretary Wally Adiemo and later with Virginia Governor and former Carlisle co-CEO Glenn Youngkin. Tickets are still available, I'm told, for purchase at DeliveringAlpha.com. But, of course, time is running out as the event starts tomorrow morning. It does. Scott? It does. And what a time to have it, right? Um, just given how unsettled mm -hmm. the landscape is, um, how opportunistic some say fixed income is relative to stocks. I can't wait to get the, collection, uh, the collection's view on where we are, Les. That's right. Yeah, no, uh, sitting down with PIMCO's Dan Iveson, that's one of my questions for him is, you know, how do you look at just the, the opportunity that, say, Jeff Gunlock sees in the Treasury markets? Do you agree with him? Is now the time to really be putting capital to work there? So that, of course, we're going to hear more on what's going on in the equity markets. Uh, energy short sellers, as you mentioned, Jim Chanos, he's going to be sitting down with Carson Block, mm -hmm. um, as well as part of just an overall broader conversation on kind of what it's like to be a short seller right now. All right. All right. You uh, work over those questions. I'll, I got to work over mine for Ken Griffin. I'll see you there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. See you there tomorrow. All right. That's Leslie Picker joining us there. Coming up, energy is one of the worst sectors this month. Stephanie Link, though, is making a move, as she said, in that space. We'll discuss it next. And a quick programming note as we head to break. Don't miss the premiere of a brand new season of American Greed. It's tonight on CNBC, 10 p.m. Eastern. Halftime's back right after this. We are back. Uh, oil hovering near break even for 2022, only up 4% with today's gains. CNBC's delivering alpha survey. It's back, as I've uh, been mentioning throughout the program. Where will oil finish in 22? 74% say between 80 and 100. 23 say under 80. So that's like the line in the sand, right, that we made is, is 80. The three sectors will be the biggest winners over the next year. Healthcare one, energy number two. So big bets still with energy. Uh, Stephanie Link, you bought more Chevron. Your big bets with energy continue. You're double the benchmark. Yep. And why do you add to this one here with energy going down? Oil well, going it's down 13 percent from its highs. It yields 4 percent. They're the leader in the industry, upstream, downstream and chemicals with pricing power. And as we talked about earlier, free cash flow generation is enormous. In last quarter alone, they generated 11.2 billion in free cash flow, up from 6.1 billion the quarter before that. So their break evens, which is really, really important, is $40. So even if oil stays here, $75, $80, they're still minting money. And, uh, and just best in class on sale. All right. Michael Farr, you like these names? You still like energy? You want any piece of energy or what? 
No, I, I haven't owned Energy for a while, Scott, uh, of, of the group. I certainly do like Chevron. It's a, it's a fabulous <clears throat> company. Uh, going into a recession here uh, in 2023 with rates where they are, and particularly the dollar getting as strong as it is, I'm just not as comfortable trying to time when in and when out of the commodity markets. Okay. Farmer Jim, you got some good exposure here. ExxonMobil, Kinder Morgan, Transocean, perhaps among, among others. Why do you like ExxonMobil over Chevron? Well, actually, I find them both very similar. Um, I tend to run a concentrated portfolio, and that's really the only reason why. I don't want to own two stocks that look alike. I have absolutely no quibble with um, uh, Stephanie buying Chevron Texaco. But I'm also double the, double the benchmark weight. And look, we're even seeing today just how many moving parts there are with this gas pipeline explosion in the Baltic. Yeah, things will move up and down, but there is a global supply-demand imbalance that's been papered over with releases from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. That reserve is going down. It's going to need to be refilled. There's a long-term problem here that's going to push prices higher. You don't want to argue with Stephanie? <laughs> she remember the she, same remember, remember the, when they, she called GM a value trap? It was your final <laughs> trade a little while ago. I remember that. Do you remember that? That was pretty funny. Always stirring it up, Judge. Always stirring it up. That was pretty funny when she did that, by the way. But I thought look, it was funny. I, it's, it's like Home Depot and Lowe's. Yes. It's like GM and Ford. You can take a side, but they're going to be moving to the very same variables. What do you think, Josh? energy here uh listen i i have the ieo is is the way that i choose to play it that is uh american producers and explorers i think uh those have been among the best stocks of the year and if belsky's right and there is some sort of a melt up i expect those stocks to participate really regardless of whether we're at 85 or 78 uh those stocks should work people want to stick with uh whoever brung them to the dance if you know what i mean i'm also in berkshire hathaway He's just spent like $40 billion yeah. buying stakes in Chevron and Occidental. I think he's going to continue to buy. And so I think I'm getting a lot of exposure in that position as well. Okay. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back with final trades next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Got a big overtime coming up, 4 o'clock Eastern time. Greg Branch on set with me. So is Anastasia Amoroso and Kristen Bitterly. Omar Aguilar of Schwab gives their playbook, too, as uh, they try and figure out where stocks are going and whether bonds are a better bet than stocks right now. Mm. We'll discuss in a few hours' time. Let's do final trades. Stephanie Link, you're United Healthcare, number one player in managed care and actually doing a lot of M&A. $20 billion is yet to hit in M&A. So you're going to see a lot of synergies, double-digit organic growth as well. And the stock is down 7% from its high. So that one's on my list as well to add to. Okay. Josh Brown. Uh, Warren Buffett is still sitting on $106 billion in cash, a lot of it in T-bills, earning a whole bunch of money. But if there's a situation that develops in the market, he will pounce. He's been buying all year. I like this play both defensively and offensively. All right. Michael Farr. I'm buying it for the long term, and I'm just adding to positions in Johnson & Johnson. Safe place to be, AAA balance sheet, 16 times earnings, 2.7% dividend. I'm way overweighted in healthcare. Uh, the benchmark with CVS, Abbott, BDX, Stryker, Medtronic. I like this area to ride out this storm. Farmer Jim. Deer? <laughs> really? So cliche. <laughs> 
I actually didn't think of the connection, but you're really? always on top of things. <laughs> you did you're it? Always on top. No. Listen, here's why I picked it is because I'm aware. That's all of the I market. thought. <laughs> I'm aware, as we all are, that it's a treacherous market out there. So when we do these final trades, I want to pick something that I think has you know a good cushion to the downside at this valuation and with the fundamentals for agriculture right now. I feel like this is a very safe play uh, place to be. Better, the best in the in the ag space to you right now. You think? I, among the best, I like it. That's it's my final pick. So yes. Okay. Uh, let's touch the market here, too, uh, before we go. Uh, Dow's currently down by 140. We said we uh, did have a new intraday low for the S&P a few moments ago. I'll see you all in overtime. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.